Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series, the number one podcast for brain injury and concussion resources. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, we're going to be chatting with Bruce Stern all about neural law. This episode is brought to you by Integrated Brain Centers, located in Denver, Colorado. Doctors Shane Stedman and Perry Maynard are experts in functional neurology and treat complex concussion cases from around the country. With over 20 years of combined experience, they are leaders in helping patients who are suffering from post-concussion symptoms, including dizziness, vertigo, headaches, dysautonomia, and more. Free consultation, you can find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. Hello, I am Amy Zellmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and have published four books on the topic of brain injury and concussion, all of which are available on Amazon. Additionally, I'm editor-in-chief of the Brain Health Magazine, and you can get your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And I invite you to join my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, my guest is Bruce Stern, and he is a shareholder and member of the personal injury group of Stark & Stark. He concentrates his practice in the area of trucking and construction litigation, brain and spinal cord injuries, and wrongful death. He graduated from Duke University in 1977 and from Rutgers School of Law in 1981. He is a founding member and past chair of the Traumatic Brain Injury Litigation Group of AAJ. He also has served as chair of AAJ's Motor Vehicle Collision Highway and Premises Liability Section. He serves as treasurer of the International Brain Injury Association and the North American Brain Injury Society. Mr. Stern is the author of numerous articles and a frequent lecturer on the subject of traumatic brain injury litigation, evidence, and trial techniques. He also co-authored a book entitled Litigating Brain Injury. He is certified as a national civil trial attorney by both the New Jersey Supreme Court and the National Board of Trial Advocacy. Welcome to the podcast, Bruce. So happy to have you here. Thank you, Amy. Um, thanks for the uh, wonderful invitation. Looking forward to uh, sharing my thoughts with you. Well, and you know, I think it's such an important topic. Um, you know, so many folks with brain injury, you know, obviously not every brain injury um, has merit for a lawyer, right? But a large chunk of them do. And so I think it's important for people to understand, um, you know, what, what all the possibilities are for them and, you know, the options that are out there. Um, but Bruce, I would love to 
start by asking you how you came to work in the brain injury realm. Like what, what was it that brought you here to working specifically with brain injury survivors? Um, so it's really starting at the beginning. Um, I had just joined uh, Stark and Stark. I practiced law for about six, seven years before uh, joining Stark and Stark. And uh, my senior partner, Albert Stark, sent me to a brain injury seminar or conference um, in Phoenix, Arizona, that was sponsored by the uh, then the National Head Injury Foundation, which is now the Brain Injury Association of America. Um, and Marilyn Spivak was one of the speakers. Marilyn literally created the National Head Injury Foundation in her kitchen uh, when her daughter sustained a uh, severe traumatic brain injury. And I found uh, she was so inspiring. And I thought, and nobody, I mean, at that time, you know, we thought, I don't, you know, nobody even appreciated what a concussion was and that certainly right. people with, you know, mild traumatic brain injuries could have long-term problems. And I just became fascinated by the topic. Um, you know, I learned how to identify people who had sustained brain injuries, as strange as that may sound to listeners today. But even back then, you know, physicians didn't recognize mm-hmm. um, the business of concussions. And so, you know, people would come into my office, you know, primarily complaining. They'd been in motor vehicle crashes, complaining of neck problems or back problems. And then I would start asking them, um, do you have any problems with attention, any problems with concentration? How did you feel immediately after the crash? looking to see if there had been some type of alteration in consciousness. I mean, keeping in mind the definition, quote, definition of mild traumatic brain injury, unquote, which was developed by the American uh, Congress of Rehabilitation Medicine in 1993. So when I was going to these first conferences, that definition didn't even exist. But these folks would come into my office, I'd question them, and I realized these people you know, suffered brain injuries. Uh, Also at the time I was, since I'm located in Princeton, New Jersey, uh, I was meeting with some doctors here in New Jersey. I was going up actually to uh, Mount Sinai for medical conferences. And I would walk into the auditorium. They weren't big uh, audiences. And I was the only attorney in the room. And everybody was always surprised that I was there. Um, So that's, where it all started. Uh, you know, it is eye-opening. I mean, we think doctors aren't that educated now. <laughs> it was so much worse, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. So um, I'm glad that they had you in their corner at least to begin to identify. I know when my lawyer, I met with him about two weeks after my accident, And until that point, I had only been told the word concussion, right? My doctors had used the word concussion. And he was like, yeah, you have a traumatic brain injury. And I had never heard that term before in my life. Um, And it took my lawyer bringing that word up, right? It wasn't even the doctors. So, 
Yeah, you know, it's so important to know that there are lawyers out there who specialize in this and they work with it on a daily basis, you know, and I think that's really important because I've met so many people who their own lawyer doesn't understand brain injury and, you know, the other side is trying to diminish some of the symptoms and the lawyer doesn't know enough, right, to even be able to, like, argue back, Um so incredibly important to have a lawyer that, that gets it. Um, so Bruce, tell us a little bit, like what are, what are some of the um, instances that someone might want to reach out to a lawyer? So um, let me just step back uh, first, if I could, and just make some sure. comments on what yeah. you just said. You know, I was, I was uh, chairing a uh, brain injury conference just last week in, in New York, it was sponsored by the North America Brain Injury Society. It was our 34th year of our conference. Um, but one of the slides that I was showing uh, the group of attorneys who were attending uh, was a um, article published, I believe, in 1999 in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, where the author made this statement that the terms concussion and traumatic brain injury are interchangeable. And to my the group of colleagues that I work with around the country that are really serious in representing people with traumatic brain injuries, that was like one of the first times we had seen in a really authoritative journal uh, indicating that a concussion was a traumatic brain uh, injury. Um, to... Uh, Answer your question. I mean, first of all, you also mentioned a lot of times lawyers don't understand uh, about traumatic brain injury. And that's one of the frustrating things that I see is you can go on virtually any attorney's webpage these days and they advertise and say they handle traumatic brain injury cases. But I can tell you, I can't tell you how many times a prospective client will call me and tell me, my lawyer just doesn't understand what I'm going through, doesn't understand my complaints. In fact, I um, was in a deposition just uh, a few minutes before we started um, where the lawyer told my then client, now my client, like, we're not going to pursue the traumatic brain injury case. Um, and now that's a significant part of the case. Um, so, I think when, you know, when a, I think any time uh, an individual is injured as a result of the negligence of someone else, they should contact a personal injury attorney, not just any attorney. You know, oftentimes, you know, people are referred by family, by neighbors. They see something on TV. Um, I think it's, important that um, anyone who's involved in uh, some type of traumatic event and is looking to retain an attorney really should go in and really explore before they make a phone call what that person's experience is. I mean, one thing you want to look at is the person a certified civil trial attorney. Again, being certified as a trial attorney it's like a doctor being board certified in his or her field. It's really the minimum standards, but 
it's a place to start. Um, but I think it's important, um, you know, if you're hurt, you should speak with the lawyer. Personal injury lawyers in the United States are paid on a contingency fee basis, so it doesn't cost anyone any money to make a call, to go in and meet with an attorney, to see whether or not there's a meritorious case or not. Um, so I hope that answers that part of the question. Yeah, and, you know, I think often people don't, you know, I hear all the time, like, oh, I don't want to get a lawyer involved. Like, I, I just, I, you know, I just want it to be over with. And I just cringe because you know that that person's not going to get proper compensation, right? Like, let's just say it was a car accident or a slip and fall, too, right? Like, due to someone's negligence. Um, and I just cringe because I know that they're probably going to get mistreated. They're going to get intimidated. They're not going to understand their rights right? Um, that's where the lawyer comes in. And I know for me, um, I fell on the driveway of our building. The driveway had not been properly maintained. Um, and the uh, property manager right away was like, oh, we'll take care of everything. Please let us know, you know, send, tell us your, send us your medical bills, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. And I had a friend tell me, you should probably get a lawyer. And I was like, why? You know, like, and I mean, keep in mind, I have a fresh brain injury too, right? Like I'm not thinking <laughs> at my best. Um, and she's like, I just have a feeling you should like, just, just call a lawyer. Just here's my lawyer. Give him a call. And um, the insurance company for the building called me. And they're like, how did you fall? I'm like, well, I was walking down the driveway and it hadn't been cleared. It was icy. And um, she just started asking me a line of questions that made me feel like I was guilty of something. And I was like, I am not comfortable with where this is going. And so that's when I called the lawyer. And once the lawyer's involved, you no longer have to talk to those people. The lawyer does all the talking. Um, so for me, that was the huge relief of the burden right um so maybe do you have anything to comment on that yeah i mean the role of the insurance adjuster is to get cases settled as quickly and as inexpensively as possible so a really you know smart adjuster would say send me the bills um hoping that by just saying we'll take care of your medical expenses, the person will never retain an attorney. They'll never have to pay out real compensation um, for what they're insured uh, caused. The second thing is if it looks like it's more involved, the insurance adjuster is trying to get information. Ultimately, if there's a lawsuit that the insurance company's attorney can use to discredit the claim. Mm -hmm. So it's important to hire a competent attorney that specializes in representing people with traumatic brain injuries. Also, um, that attorney will have access to medical specialists um, that 
other doctors may not have, as strange as that seems. But usually the first doctor someone sees is their family doctor. Right. Who's not really educated in handling and treating patients with traumatic brain injury. And the view had always been that people, especially at the more mild end of traumatic brain injury, that those uh, people will get better on their own three weeks, six weeks, a few months. So normally you, you, I see in family doctor records, you know, patient came in complaining of uh, being a little dazed or disoriented, having complaints of headache. Um, and then there are, you know, the note will say assured patient that uh, he or she would be better in, in a few weeks. Um, when we know now that, you know, you look at some studies uh, recently published, about half the people who sustain a mild traumatic brain injury go on to have long-term problems. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's important that you retain an attorney because that attorney can get you to the specialist that one needs. Uh, especially today with telemedicine, you can hire the, the best doctors anywhere in the country. And if the person who was injured was a child, uh, I listened to a very frightening presentation uh, last uh, Thursday in New York. Uh, we had a triple board certified pediatric physiatrist rehab medicine uh, doctor uh, speaking to us. And, you know, she was telling us that, you know, that's the problem, especially with kids, that, you know, there's not a lot of doctors that, you know, treat children with uh, traumatic brain injuries. Yeah, and I had heard a statistic that, like, less than 5% of pediatricians are comfortable um, treating a patient, a child with concussion. Um, so I found that number, like, staggering. Um, they just don't get the yeah, education. Yeah, think about it. You know, if the younger the child is, the less able that child is able to articulate the difficulties are. Uh, and I can say the younger the child, the, the much more difficult it is. And uh, the, the physician said to us, which just stuck with me, um, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And, you only, and you only document what you do know. Yeah. So if the doctor is not properly trained and therefore doesn't document uh, the appropriate things, it gets missed. And then we also know with kids with traumatic brain injuries that developmentally, oftentimes uh, their uh, issues don't develop for years and years. You know, the most common injury you see with anybody, child or adult, our frontal lobe problems, and frontal lobe is where our executive functions are. And those don't develop until, you know, late teens, early 20s. Um, so, you know, you, you're, you know, if your child who's five years old, it's go, it may be many years down the road before, you know, the real problems are recognized. Right. And, you know, and I also remember my lawyer telling me, that they would not rush um, 
the process. I can't think of the word he used, but they wouldn't rush to a settlement because they wanted to see how well I was recovering. Right. Like they didn't want to like try to pursue it right at one year because we had, and at one year I was like nowhere better. So um, it was a long process. It was probably close to five years before we settled my case. Um, And I think, that's also a part that people don't understand is it does take a while. It's not, it's not overnight. Yeah. You know, there's, I guess, two schools of thought generally in the legal profession in terms of when do you file a lawsuit? Um, you know, some people will f- want to file right away um, to get the clock ticking, um, get the client. Uh, Cause most cases, most cases resolve without trial, but most cases, you know, the real fair compensation doesn't come till there's a trial date. Uh, I'm not in that school of thought. Mine is take the time, prepare the case, especially when I'm representing somebody with a traumatic brain injury. I mean, we know just nature will heal, should or may heal some of it. And so you don't know when a client comes in two weeks after he or she fell or was in a crash. Yeah whether that patient's going to be better in six months or may never be better. Um, you know, generally speaking, rule of thumb, you hear doctors say, well, if someone has the symptoms a year, two years, uh, then they're going to have permanent residuals. So I would usually wait um, and wait to see, hey, is this someone who's going to get better or is this someone who's going to have long-term problems and if they're going to have long-term problems that then opens up um, a lot of areas that have to be explored so for instance we know that people who have permanent disability um, regardless of what what the injury is whether it's a back injury or a brain injury we know that regardless of gender regardless of education it's true across the board the people that have a permanent disability will have, one, a shorter work-life expectancy, meaning they will drop out of the workforce earlier than someone without that permanent disability. And second, they will earn less money per year over that work-life expectancy. So, you know, when I'm representing someone who is back to work, but has a permanent cognitive disability, I know that that person's going to, in all probability, lose money in the future, which only yeah. makes sense. They're, you know, as they get older, as we age, those people are going to drop out of the workforce earlier. So there's a whole host of experts I need to retain to properly prepare my clients' cases. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and I know a whole, whole other topic, which I don't believe you handle, but is the social security disability, right? Getting on disability um, for those who aren't able to go back to work. And, and I know that's a whole other complicated process as well. It is. Uh, I don't handle uh, those claims. Uh, someone else in my office does. But, you know, the normal thing is the person applies for Social Security and then they get denied. And then mm-hmm. that's when 
security attorneys got to get involved to prepare the case, file the appeal, and handle the hearing. Yeah. Yeah, I know it can be very complicated, drawn out process for some people and very frustrating and I sometimes wonder if they do that on purpose so that people give up you know um, it's, I, I hear it all the time in my Facebook group so Bruce is there anything we haven't touched on that you feel might be important for listeners to know I think when you know Normally when someone's involved in a car crash or a fall or some other type of traumatic event, you know, usually the first thing they're recognized is pain. You know, if you just think of a uh, rear-end car crash, for example, so we know in a rear-end car crash from physics that there is what's called a flexion extension uh, mechanism mm-hmm. that goes backwards and then is whipped forward. That's the mechanism that causes injury to the, the neck. It's the mechanism that causes injury to the back. And it's the same mechanism that causes uh, brain injury. And so, but the first thing that they feel is a sudden onset of pain. It yeah. may be disoriented or uh, kind of in a fog, which indicates alteration uh, of consciousness. But the first thing they recognize is pain. And so normally, you know, they'll go in, if they go to the emergency room, they're triaged, which simply means, you know, when you triage your patient, the important thing is to make sure that person's not going to die when they leave the hospital. And then they're told to follow up. And, you know, we know from the literature and from experience that people don't recognize or may not recognize that they're having cognitive problems until they're back to work, uh, until they get back into the regular routine. And all of a sudden they realize, I'm having trouble remembering what I just read or I so easily get distracted now, you know, and – those who are doing more complex intellectual work have more uh, recognized more problems, but it may take a while. So like I said, when I meet with a client, even if, you know, he or she's not really complaining when I first see them, I tell them, if you see you have these problems, please, you know, let me know. The other thing is um, an individual's partner becomes very important. Uh, years ago, I listened to a lecture by Bob Spordone, who was a neuropsychologist in Irvine, California. And he said, always talk to the spouse. You know, you ask the patient, how are mm-hmm. you doing? I'm doing, doing fine. Uh, I don't really have any problems. Then you talk to the spouse, and you think you're hearing about a different person altogether. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, I think, is extremely important. But I guess, you know, in terms of this, me being a lawyer and your listeners being, you know, caregivers and uh, survivors of brain injury, the most important thing is check out who your attorney is. Make sure that attorney understands brain injury. That that uh, attorney, you know, has a group of doctors that he or she works with that can really document and make sure 
that attorney has the money to spend in preparing the case. Um, you know, I when I lecture to lawyers, I always say to them, who are you preparing the case for? And everybody raises their hand and says, for a jury, except most cases settle. My thought is I prepare the case, number one, for the insurance adjuster because he or she is the one that's going to pay me. Number two, I prepare the case defense attorney because I want that defense attorney to be my ally. I want that defense attorney to be afraid to have to go to trial and get hit with a big verdict. So I want that defense attorney saying to his or her adjuster, hey, we need to resolve this case uh, for a lot more money than, than you put on the reserve. And then finally, um, I prepare the case, obviously, if I can't resolve it, to go to trial. I may hire seven or eight experts. I was on a call earlier this morning. We were uh, judge in one of my counties was assigning trial dates, and he said to me, well, how many expert witnesses do you have? And I said, eight to nine. Um, now, eight to nine is a lot of money uh, to spend in preparing a case. Um, so it's important that the attorney that you retain has the financial uh, wherewithal to properly prepare the case. Mm. All great tips. Um, Bruce, this has been such a good conversation, such great information. I want to make sure people know how to find you. Um, and as always, we do have a clickable link to your website in the show notes. That is braininjurylawblog.com. And tell us a little bit more if anyone's interested in, in getting in touch with you. Sure. Uh, thank you, Amy. Um, I can be reached by phone. Uh, my direct line uh, at, is 609-895-7285. My email address is B as in boy, S-T-E-R-N at Stark, S-T-A-R-K, hyphen or dash, uh, stark.com. And, if you know, you can get a lot of information uh, from my blog. Uh, you gave the uh, address, Brain Injury Law uh, blog. Um, I try to list uh, new research that's come out or other things I think would be interesting to my readership uh, to get uh, information about traumatic brain injury. Uh, it's not a site where I'm trying to market all the wonderful results that I receive from my clients. Uh, I prepared it and I work on it to really be informative uh, for people. Wonderful. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for being here today. Again, just a really important topic, and I think you gave just a ton of great advice so thank you so much for taking your time to be here. My pleasure. Thank you, Amy. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Just another big thank you to our sponsor, Integrated Brain Centers. Find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. And you can also find previous podcast episodes on most streaming platforms, such as iTunes, or you can find them directly at facesoftbi.com. 
You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And also, please remember to join Amy's TBI Tribe on Facebook. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it with a $5 a month membership on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Amy Zellmer. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I will see you in the next episode.